right? Because as we learn and we grow, again, I, I say this all the time, that there's going to be this overflow from, from within us. We were just singing from the inside out, you know. It's going to it's really move us to go do something about what we're learning, about that change. And so, you know, one of the things that people know about Hawaii a lot is that it's a land of volcanoes, right? A lot of volcanoes. Now, the big island, they call it Big Island, we didn't get to go to that. But that's where you have so many of the volcanoes and Kilauea and a couple of active ones. You can go see lava flow. Pretty amazing. But every other island actually has dormant volcanoes because they were all formed from volcanic activity, right? Throughout years, and of course, you know, if you're a creationist, you can understand it didn't happen over millions of years. You know, it's pretty interesting to kind of see it from that perspective. But all the different islands... The eight major islands and the other ones were formed out of volcanoes, you know. But what's interesting is you hear about this ring of fire around the Pacific Basin, you know, where it's got all the, the volcanoes and all that stuff. And, but Hawaii is not part of that. Hawaii is, if you see it on the map, it's out in the middle of the ocean. You know, I remember when we were flying into Honolulu, I was looking at the map because you can kind of track your flight now. It's pretty cool when you're on a plane. And I'm looking at it, and I'm just looking at it, I'm just like, man, we're out in the middle of nowhere. Hawaii is like really far away, you know. It's a six-hour time difference that they're six hours behind us. So you go to California, it's three hours, and you got like another six hours to get to Hawaii. It's like six hours time difference. Man, they're out in the middle of nowhere. But it's all these volcanic islands. But they were formed differently thousands of years ago than all those other volcanoes. And they kind of are called these shield volcanoes. And the way that they, these um, islands were formed was not by necessarily volcanic like eruptions like we would think of like a Mount St. Helens, but by that lava flow. Because what you would notice is, even in the dormant volcanoes, you would see these gentle sloping volcanoes, like huge volcano, but a gentle sloping um, you know, hill right into the ocean. Man, it's so dramatic. Pretty amazing, right? But I was just thinking, man, there's still, on the big island of Hawaii, which is the newest island, the youngest of, of them all, there is still land being created. When that lava flows out, you've seen pictures and videos, right? It flows in the ocean, <clears throat> it steams up, right? And then it hardens, it becomes eventually new land. So it is out of the overflow of what's going on inside of that volcano that new life forms. But if, if all of that magma and then the lava when it rises up, if it just kind of boiled up and stayed inside of that volcano, nothing would ever really happen. But it's not until it flows out. See, it's like pressure is building up. Something is changing inside of that volcano where it has to then erupt. But then these kind of volcanoes that form the islands of Hawaii, they kind of flow out and it's just big massive lava flows and it creates more land and then eventually there's vegetation. And you can even see, we we spent some time on Maui, right, and Oahu, and you can even see where like some of the most recent, even though it was hundreds of years ago, some of the most recent lava flow was, because all of a sudden it was just dark land. But somewhere there were some roots that were taking, um, growing, taking root of new plants. Because all of a sudden the land was becoming fertile, and then you could see that new growth was happening. But it was only out of the overflow of this lava from inside the volcano. So it got me thinking like, man... What a great metaphor for the Christian heart, you know, that it is out of the overflow of God's love for us that He sent us Jesus Christ, but then in turn, it should be as we grow, 
in our love for Him and are motivated, motivated to please Him, then what happens is that love flows out of our heart. And it creates life. Why? It creates life because we are then representing Christ and people are attracted to it. You know, when we talked about the fruit of the Spirit, you know, when we're growing, we are creating an environment just like that lava flow. We're creating an environment for the Holy Spirit to exhibit His fruit in us. And then fruit on a tree is attractive, right? When Hawaii, man, there's all different kinds of, of native vegetation that you don't see here. And it's pretty amazing to see it. And so much of it is like so attractive. Like, what's that fruit? And what's this? You know, so many different flowers you would never see here, right? Because of the climate and everything. But man, it's just so eye-catching and so attractive. That is what we're supposed to be like. That we're supposed to be attractive to others because we are fertile ground for the Holy Spirit to grow within us. So our passage for today is in 1 Thessalonians. It's a very simple passage, but it's a great word of encouragement for us, the church, this morning. So I want you to turn to it. It'll also be up on the screen for you. It's 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12. It's the end of that chapter. Through chapter 4, verse 12. So it's 3.12 through 4.12 in 1 Thessalonians. Okay. And here's very simply, before I read it, why I wanted to just share this passage with you today. <clears throat> what Paul is doing is he is encouraging the church. He sent this letter as an encouragement to them. So what I want you to do is watch for the language in this section of his letter, First Thessalonians. See what words stick out to you, like the theme and even the tone of his writing to this church as he encourages them, Okay? So, I'm going to read it. You can follow along. And uh, again, just see what words stick out to you in Paul encouraging the church. Picking up in verse 12 of chapter 3. He says, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness, before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. Chapter 4. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in these things, and as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. And whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives you His Holy Spirit. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. 
For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. And to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. I think this is a great passage on how to grow a church. Because a church that is growing is made up of Christians that are growing. Does that make sense? Right? A church that's growing is comprised of and made up of a church family that itself is growing. So individually, we need to seek to be growing in our faith and trust in the Lord, growing to maturity. And as we're doing that together, using the gifts of the Holy Spirit, studying and learning the Word of God, letting it transform us from the inside out, then we will be growing as a church as well. And so what Paul does here is he simply says, look, I'm praying for you to grow. But this is what I want to see happen. I want you to grow in love. Because he boils it all down to this idea of growing in love. He prays that they would grow in love. And he gives them motivations for growing in love and even reminds of of instructions on how to grow in love. He talks about neighbors a lot. You know, we're going to have our fellowship lunch today and what a great time to hear stories, to hear testimony about what God is doing. He says right here in this passage, hey, love one another. That's how the world's going to know that you're mine if you love one another, right? But it's so encouraging because he's saying in this passage, you're doing this already. And I want to encourage all of you here, you're doing this already. You're loving one another. We see it in the way that we're supporting each other at the loss of a loved one or that we're praying for one another, we're encouraging each other, sharing words of testimony. We are loving one another. But what does Paul say? It's not enough. He wants us to move from abiding to abounding. See, it's good to abide in the Lord. We're called to abide in the Lord, which means simply to be at peace with God and to be obeying Him. But he says, I want you to abound in that. Don't just settle. Too often in life we settle, don't we? We settle in many ways. Don't ever settle in your relationship with God and say, oh, I guess this is it. This is the best I can do. Or like I said before, I think I've arrived. I know enough now. I don't have to study or read or pray more or go to church more. But it is always about growing. I was just reminded of that again when we're on our trip and just seeing the beauty of how there's got to be even something like the lava flow, the outflowing of what's building up inside that volcano. It then eventually creates new life, right? There is new life that is created out of that overflow. So Paul uses words, maybe you caught it, even in verse 12 at the beginning, he wants us to increase and abound in love. Then he goes on in in verse uh, 1 of chapter 4, I want you to do it more and more, right? And then he says later on, he says, uh, you're doing this, but in verse uh, 10, I want you to do it more and more. Do you see the, the, the theme there? That Paul has got this idea of, I just want you to abound more and more. I want you to live that abundant life, but I want you to then let it flow out so that you're, yeah, you're loving, but I want you to love people more. You know what? You're a giving church. I want you to give more to each other. You pray. 
I want you to pray more. Hey, you're studying the Word and, and you're walking with I want you to study harder. I want you to study more. I want you to learn more. It's not about, now don't get me wrong, it's not about getting better. It's all, listen, it's all about what's our motivation. Is it to please ourselves or is it to please God? Because all throughout this passage, Paul is saying, your motivation is to be, is to please God. That's our motivation in life. We're going to see that when you looked at those five solas of, of, uh, of uh, the Reformation. The last one is that it's glory to God and to Him alone, the chief end of man. So he goes through this passage just in, in this letter just saying, look, you're doing this, but I want, it, I want it to be more and more. He even says in verse 13 at the end of chapter 3, he goes, I want you to increase in abound in love. He goes, so that God can establish your what? Your hearts, blameless. See, it comes from the heart. But recognize also, look, when he says, I'm praying that, that love abounds more and more and that it comes from your heart, both times he says it's from God. May the Lord make you increase. May He establish your hearts. I can't stress that enough. Because what, listen, what we get into is this. We get into this mindset of, I'm just going to read more. I'm going to pray more and then maybe things will work out better. Or I'm going to try harder. See, I don't believe that that is the right mindset and attitude as as walking with Christ and being Christians. I think it's got to start with, I'm going to surrender and yield and submit more. And I'm going to let God take control through the Holy Spirit. Because Paul says it right here, may God give you the increase. And may God prepare your heart. You see that? We have to let God do His thing in our lives, or else what happens is we just we uh, wind up taking control, right? We have to let God do His thing. So it does come down to our motivation, and our motivation should be that we are pleasing God. But it all flows out of that love from our heart. Remember what it says in First John four: This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. For everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Right? And you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 22. When one of the, the Pharisees asked him, what's the greatest commandment? He said, shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And he says, the second is like this, the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. So he's telling the church, you're doing this, but do it more. You're praying, pray more. You're being a loving church to your brothers and sisters, love more. You're very giving of your time and your your talents and and your, your finances. Give more, he says. And he prays for them that their hearts would be strengthened. He prays for them, their hearts would be strengthened. And then he ends this passage, as I just kind of wrap this up. He ends the passage by kind of putting this in here in verse 11 and 12. You can put that back up on the screen. In chapter 4, the last couple of verses, he says, and this is how I want you to do it. Kind of interesting, right? He's talking about abounding in love for God and for others. And he says, this is how you do it. Aspire to live quietly, mind your own affairs, 
Work with your hands, because that's what we instructed you to do. Because then you'll walk properly before outsiders. Here's why I believe he says that. You know, like I mentioned in Hawaii, there's this, this word aloha. Everybody greets you with aloha. And they call it in Hawaii the aloha spirit. Okay? And it kind of comes out of their, you know, very, uh, their traditional non-Christian, but their traditional uh, kind of religious views and, and spirituality. But there's some, good, there's some goodness to it because it's about brotherly love. It's about peace, blessing. They believe that they're supposed to help one another. Part of it comes from the fact that they're out in the middle of nowhere, really. As islanders, they're like, we need to rely on each other. You know, even my son Luke is living there. He goes, we kind of feel that. That like, yeah, I mean, they're, they're a state, right? Um, they're the 50th state, and so they're part of the United States. But sometimes we kind of felt like we were in a different country because we're out there in the middle of nowhere. But they have to help each other in all things. So there's that great sense. But in a way... I see it's kind of like that word shalom that our Jewish brothers and sisters use that you see throughout the Old Testament. This idea of peace when you can use that word shalom to greet one another or to say goodbye. It's this idea of peace. Peace be with you. Blessings on you. It's this great idea of, hey, we want to bless you and, and uh, we want to be here for each other. We should have a word for like that in New Jersey. Didn't see that. Yeah, you know. But... Um, yeah, it was, just, you know, it was just so nice to be able to experience that. But look at what he says at the end of this passage. Live a quiet life. Work with your hands. You know what he, you know what he means by that? It's interesting. When he says a quiet life, what that means in, in the Greek is it really means in that original writing, original language, it means don't be so stressed. It really means don't be so frantic in your lifestyle. So when he says live a quiet life, it doesn't necessarily mean like don't talk a lot or, you know, just kind of don't be involved in other people's lives. What he's saying is, live a quiet life, meaning, hey, have a little bit more of that aloha spirit, a little more shalom, peace in your life. Don't be so stressed out. It really means like frantic. Don't live at that frantic pace, right? We know all about that here in the Northeast, don't we? Don't live at that frantic pace. He says, hey, remember, we have each other and we have God and we're in this together. Out of the overflow of your heart, just be abundant in your love and, and speak words of peace and encouragement to each other. That's what he's doing. He says, just live that quiet life with that, that peace, knowing that still small voice of God in your life. Don't get caught up in the stressfulness and, and <clears throat> the frantic pace that we can so easily get caught up in. So he says, live that quiet life. Less stressful, not so frantic. If you're constantly on the move and being busy, even at church, then it can be a bother to other people and it can distract you from focusing on your relationship with the Lord. So he says not only to live quietly, but he says mind your own affairs or mind your own business. Now, that doesn't mean we don't get involved in other people's lives because that's a big part of what we do at church, right? right? And it doesn't mean gossip or meddling, but it means that we're involved. We invest in each other because that's what God has called us to do and what He's done for us. But you know what? You can be a burden to somebody else. And Paul's saying, don't be a burden to the church or to other people. He says, just don't be stressed out. Live that quiet life. Right? He says, mind your own affairs, meaning make sure right, that you can be a blessing to other people and that you're not being an annoyance or a burden. Proverbs twenty-five seventeen says, let your foot 
seldom be in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and learn to hate you. How about that? I'll read that again. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. Did you ever have friends over? Now you know where I'm going with this. And they outstay their welcome. Were you ever one of those people? No, never, right? But what? It's, it's kind of funny we read that, but it's true. In that, Paul is saying here in, 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 uh, in the letter, he's like, look, don't be so stressed out. Remember who you are in God's eyes. Remember your identity. And he says, live that quiet life. Mind your own business. It means take care of your affairs so you can be a blessing and not be a burden, right, unnecessarily. He says, work with your hands. He's simply saying, work is a blessing. It brings humility that we're all called to do some kind of work you can provide for yourself so you don't have to depend on others and then you can be a blessing and help others more and more. And why? Because it leads to a good testimony before others. Because in all of this, Paul is encouraging the church, saying you are a great blessing I just want you to be more of a blessing. So abound in your love. Abound in your love for God and for one another. And that is how we will grow as followers of Christ. And that is how we will then grow as a church. As we abound in love. So we're going to conclude our time by taking um, the Lord's table together. It's something that we do once a month. And we do it here as a church family. Um, If you are still searching and are not sure about your relationship with the Lord, then what we ask, according to Scripture, is that you let the plate pass you by. But even if this is not your home church, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, this is for you because together we are a family.